Our scripture passage today is from John 14. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, my, my name is Eric. I'm the assistant pastor here at Ascension Church, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do so after the service, uh, but welcome. And, and we have been in a, in a series here at Ascension called Age of Gold. You see that printed on the front of your bulletin. This is the last week where we are preaching in this series. This has been a time during leading up to Christmas and after Christmas. We're looking at how Christmas awakens our longings for heaven. Christmas, for many of us, no doubt in the past few weeks, brought a measure of, of rest, of family time, of, of meditations on, on glorious things. Even as we entered the new year, we talked about last week, maybe a desire for an upgraded body, a new body. These are natural desires, and Christmas time in the new year sort of puts an amplifier on them to make us kind of float over what we have, feel good, feel a rush of, of these things but also feel like a sharp pain for what is lacking, for the desires and the expectations that are, that are not. That's what we mean when we say it's awakening our longing for heaven, for something more. This, this is last week in that series, and you just heard the passage read. Um, sermon is entitled this morning, A Home with God. I, I want to put before you this morning that it, it's our, we have in our beings, a longing for home. This is core to the human experience, a longing for an eternal home, a place, a sense of permanence, of settling, of belonging. Now, I would go so far as to say, whether, whether you are, have grown up in the church and know God very well, or this is sort of a foreign concept to you, we, we all have a longing to be home with God. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity into the hearts of men and women. Something in my heart that's crying out for eternity, for an eternal home with God. And so I'm going to begin by praying, and then we'll look more at this passage this morning and our longing for home. 
Lord, we are aware of the overwhelming nature of Christ's words this morning. So often, if we open our Bibles and read what Jesus is saying, we're comforted, we're also challenged, we're also confused, and yet we feel drawn along by this merciful and truthful Lord and Savior. Would your name be glorified this morning, even as we look at the words that you have given us May we sense your love, your grace for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I've already said this morning that to be human is to hunger for an eternal home. But I'm not going to take it as a given that you're like, yes, I agree, totally. That's, what, that's the way I would put it. Let me, let me illustrate this in two ways. I want to draw out this longing in two ways, and then I have two points to look at in this passage here. Here's the first illustration for you. Uh, about a year ago, I picked up this uh, dusty old diary from a minister in Scotland. He kept a diary for 40 years of ministry. You can imagine to me this was interesting, maybe not so much to you. But I have been reading it slowly, his journal entries through his life. And I came across a passage that stuck out to me, and I want to share it with you. Here's the man, Kenneth McRae, writing at an age of 51 in 1935, about returning to his childhood home. Kenneth was raised at a fort. His father was in the military. As a young boy, he grew up at this fort on this military base, and he, he returns to it now, a 51-year-old man. Here is, here is what he says. This is from the diary of 18th of May, 1935. Mr. Cameron and myself in the late afternoon went down to Fort George. It is greatly changed. Within, I found everything on a smaller scale than memory represented. That is so much how it is, is it not? When you return to your childhood things, why is everything smaller? The greens did not seem so large, nor the ramparts so high. And the whole area appeared shrunken to my eye from what it once was. I felt pensively sad at realizing that when I last stood in that room, I was a little boy of nine years of age, 42 years ago. The view from the ramparts was magnificent, but everything was so changed and yet familiar that I felt as though my heart would almost break. The past rose before me at every step, but what saddened me most of all was not the change which I saw about me, but the change which I felt within me. I was far more changed than the dear old fort. Father, mother, and three brothers were all gone, and I, a poor creature, with life well spent, had crept back to survey, for a little, the scenes of a happy past. Such is life. I think you can hear an eternal longing for home in that passage from this 51-year-old man writing. Let me offer you a second illustration to draw this out further. I've often heard my wife and her siblings, her two brothers and sister, reflect when they were young about when their father would come home from work, they would beg him to take his shoes off. As we know, just because you're coming back from work, you may have an errand or an appointment, they, they had a longing for their father to be home with them. So they knew that the final, the clincher of him staying with them would be if he took his shoes off. So as soon as he walked in the door, 
Daddy, take your shoes off. Let me get those for you. Let me take your shoes off, Daddy. What's going on in these two illustrations, whether we have a five-year-old girl or a 51-year-old man, the five-year-old girl is saying, Daddy, take your shoes off. The 51-year-old man is writing privately in a diary. He doesn't ever think it's going to be published. Everything was so changed, I felt like my heart would break. And what saddened me was not the change which I saw about me, but the change I felt within me. This is a cry for change to stop. This is a cry for permanence, for a settling of the home, for dad to take his shoes off, for the, for the, the ramparts, if you grew up in a, a fort, okay, that's not a home, but, but when you return to home, everything doesn't look so shrunken and small and different, and you say, who's, who's not here anymore? I'm here. Who, who's not even here anymore? These are cries for change to stop. It's a human hunger for an eternal home. Came across this quote studying this week regarding this passage. Our greatest affliction is not anxiety or even guilt, and I'm not saying those are not afflictions, but rather homesickness, a nostalgia or an eradicable yearning to be at home with God. Our passage this morning speaks to this homesickness, this longing for an eternal home, for the change to stop. And you just heard Jesus say it to his disciples in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus is speaking to his disciples at a heart level. To be human is to long for an eternal home. Well, here's the hope. If you know me, you know the way home. This is what I want to draw out from this passage this morning. This is, I think, the, the burden to preach here is, is, is to know Jesus is to know the way home. Basically lifting this right out of the sixth verse, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'll get further into that, but to know Jesus is to know the way home. It's an incredible thought to, read these, to hear these words of Jesus read in a world where home feels anything like inevitable, but Jesus is saying, to all who know me, who have faith in me, the longing for an eternal home, it's an inevitable outcome of your life. You're all, you already know the way. Two points to look at this passage this morning. First, I want to look at how Jesus makes our home. The second is, I want to look at how Jesus takes us home. Here's the first one, how, how Jesus makes our home. This passage in John 14 is a time in, in the Gospel of John when Jesus and the disciples are eating together for the Last Supper. You can think of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper painting. This goes on for a number of chapters. It occupies quite a bit of real estate in this book. And here they are, just like in the painting, maybe not just like in the painting, eating together. Why are you all sitting on the same side, guys? Can we? Uh, no, no, not in the... Um, <laughs> 
eating together, conversing together, unhurried time. It's a relatively calm moment in the, in the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, it's miracles, it's persecution, it's testing, it's this, it's that. And here we get this extended chunk of time in the upper room, eating a meal together before Jesus goes to the cross. And he tells them that he is leaving, as we just read. My father's house has many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And so Jesus assures them that while he is leaving, as he has already told his disciples, I'm I'm leaving, I'm going to die, where I'm going, you cannot go right away. He tells them that he is going to secure this place for them, a home with him. Now, now how is Jesus making this home? I think is an important question to ask here. What does he mean when he says, I'm going to prepare a home? the, The place seems to already exist, the Father's house. We assume it exists. We know, we trust it exists. He's saying, I'm going there as a destination. And and, and we also know it's a little bit silly to imagine Jesus ducking out to make sure there's enough seating at this home or dust the family room in this home. This is not, that's not the, that's what we think of preparing our home. This is not what Jesus is doing. The, the answer is right here in the text. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you. So how will he prepare this home? Well, his going is his preparing. That is, his going to the cross is his preparing of the home. His mission to die in our place, to lay his life down for his disciples, that going, that is the preparing of the home. That is making the way. And I'll I'll draw this out more for us this morning. Jesus has something deeply eternal in mind here. This is what Jesus is going to do. He is literally going to die, to lay his life down for his disciples and for all who would believe in him. This is literally what he's going to do after dinner. So this is what he means when he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. The cross and the resurrection, Christ's death in our place, this is the preparation to secure an eternal home with God. And this is just where we have to marvel at the scope of Scripture and how how it comes full circle. Because if you go back to the, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, you find God creating the world, Zoom in a little bit more. God creating land. Okay, zoom in a little bit more. God creating the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. God creates a home for his people. But when sin enters the world, when Adam and Eve reject God and rebel, they are cast out of that home with God. They are sent away from that home with God. They they are under sin now, and they are cursed, and they must leave the home that God created for them. And what follows through the Scriptures is an often tedious list of ways that God can make his home with us. The tabernacle, the temple, do this, the priest should look like this, the side room should look like this, these are the right animals to sacrifice, these are the ways in which you're purified and cleansed that I might be your God and dwell with you, that you might make a home with me. This is the understanding of the disciples during the Passover, they're celebrating Passover. They have, they have a temple there. They're, they're, they're thinking in these terms of God is living with us. And even if these, these concepts often in the Bible like, are, are confusing and, and strange and like a lot to take in if you jump into the wrong five chapters at the wrong time, you, you have to at least 
understand the desire of, of this ancient Jewish people that says, we want you to live with us. Tell us what to do. Tell us what we need to do that you might live with us, that you might dwell with us, that you might take your shoes off, God. These parts of the Bible that can be foreign to us, they're, they're born out of a yearning of a people for an eternal home and to experience that right now. God, could you please dwell with us? Could you please be with us? And so God instructs them, this is how you build a home for me. And now we have a room with the disciples and Jesus telling them, I go to prepare a place for you. Believe in God, then believe also in me. I will build the home. It's that eternal longing for a home with God. Jesus is bringing this and he has brought this to pass. Why? Because God is suddenly more, more comfortable, more adjusted to humans, more, more, okay, I'll drop the terms a little bit, that's fine. No, because, because God fulfilled the terms himself, because all of the long list of, of what to do and, and the washings and the purities and the, and the sin that needed to be paid for, Christ took care of that. He prepared the home once and for all. And so no longer are these former things, these ceremonies and washings and cleansings necessary for God to dwell with his people as he is called. Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. For now all who have believed in Christ are cleansed by his blood. The place, the home, the eternal dwelling, it's prepared. God hasn't changed the terms. He's fulfilled them in Christ. And isn't it just incredible to think about Jesus thinking about the cross in his mind, when he's telling them, I go to prepare a place for you. He's got his, he knows what he needs to do. That's what's on his mind. And so merciful and so gentle and so patient is he that he leans even unto the doubt of his disciples and us and, and, and even says, if it were not so, would I have told you? Do, do you trust me? Would I, would I lead you on? Because you're about to see me lay my life down for you, and, and I need you to know I'm not leading you on. This isn't over. This isn't ending. I'm securing the home you're longing for. And, and here, here's the temptation for us. We, we can find ourselves back in the painting, back at the Last Supper, before the cross, acting as if the home has not been prepared and, and we have to make it work for God. What, what can I do for God to take his shoes off in my life? What, what can I tweak? Can I, get, can I get my mind right? Can I, can I build in this, this, this practice that is more appealing to God? Can I somehow make myself more attractive into, into a life and a home where God is pleased to dwell? And, and, and friends, Christ has already prepared the home for which we are longing Say in a moment, in a few verses, he, he makes our home in us. This is, this is done. We are not in an age where we are, where we are the, we're in an age where all who have faith in Christ are cleansed of his blood and thus secured of the home. The home that was lost, the home that is longed for, it's, it's, it's simply before us here. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
So we see to know Jesus is to know the way home. That is how Jesus makes, makes our home for us, prepares our home as we read. I want to look at the second point. Jesus takes us home. I'm going to keep reading, picking up in verse 4 again. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This question from Thomas is such a natural response to verse 4. And Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says the thing we would all say. We would all relate to this. Yeah, Lord, uh, no. Actually, we don't know the way because we don't know where. We need to know the destination to know the way. I don't think he, my tone was a little bit rude there. I don't think Thomas's was maybe possibly like that. But, but, but giving a gracious reading to it, it is a very understandable question. Lord, I, I can't begin to know the way to go until, until you have a destination, an end point, a goal in mind for me. And the answer Jesus gives Thomas is so like Jesus. He just sees what's going on in his heart, and he just assures him and comforts him right there. I'm the way. I'm the way. Doesn't answer the question about the destination. Doesn't give Thomas 10 things to look forward to in heaven. I am the way. We see here that in, in this answer, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus actually gives Thomas both an easier and a harder answer to accept when he says this. Here, here's the easier part. When, when Jesus says he's the way, he's saying, it's, it's not up to you to find this, Thomas. You know me. You know the way. It's not on you to generate a pathway to God. It's not on you to come up with this, but rather receive me as the way. And it's an easy-to-receive answer because it couldn't be more simple. Believe in Christ, and you will inevitably wind up at home in heaven. Faith in Christ is the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of that pardon before God, peace with God. He's the way. There's no alternative there's no alternative destination or outcome for those who have faith in Christ. But here, that's the easy part. Here's the harder part of that answer to understand and take in. When Jesus says that he's the way, and he says it under no uncertain terms, it means categorically that the home we're longing for, the eternal home with God, doesn't come any other way but through Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is, no amount of virtuous living, no amount of surrendering our, our resources and, and living with generosity, no amount of a, of a stable reputation, no amount of, of faithful religious observance, no amount of just getting the, the mindset right, attuning to, to, to the mind and having a proper mind before God, no amount of no amount of helping the old lady across the street. No amount of any of these things. These do not make a way to heaven. Rather, it is through Christ. He is the way. There's one way, and it's Him. 
an easy answer and yet a hard answer because it means things that are essential to how I view my life and how I live and what I've attained and what I've achieved and who I am, Jesus is asking me to say, those aren't the way to be in heaven and and righteous and redeemed and a fulfilled person. It's found in Christ. It's very hard. It's extremely hard. It's a daily, daily battle. I want to look a little bit more at this statement in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is so profound. It could obviously be a sermon unto itself and has been many sermons through, through thousands of years. Let's look at this statement, though, for just briefly uh, for, for a minute here. When Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, at first it's not apparent that these three things are entirely related. I know it didn't seem that way to me at first. Why not say I, I am the love or, or I am the light or something else biblical that we would associate with Jesus? And it's a hugely comprehensive question, but, but here's a start. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, He's speaking to Thomas who is asking about heaven. He's speaking to Thomas who's asking him about where are you going? Your father's house, many rooms, many dwelling places. What would that look like? How, what would be the way there? And for Jesus to say, if you were to ask about heaven, if you have ever thought about the afterlife, what that would be like, there's probably three, probably more, but no less than three questions that you would have about heaven. What's the way? What's true, and what's the life I need to live now to get there? What's corresponding in my life now that that would would add up to heaven? And and how can I know this is all true, and then then what would exactly be the right way to approach this? And this is beautiful that Jesus just gives this to Thomas, I think understands a fuller picture of even what Thomas himself or we would even be sort of fumbling with our words to ask. I'm the way to heaven. What I'm saying is true. I'm the truth. All truth amounts to me, and I am the life. To be found in my life is to be found in me and to be received the home from which you are eternally longing for. So boiling it all down, if we were to be interested in heaven, and and, and of course all of us are, we would want to know the way there, what's true about it, and the sort of life that we need to have. And that, I think, is in a way what Jesus is getting at for Thomas' sake. St. Thomas, you know the way, comprehensively, fully. It won't work to go around me, and don't try to go without me, but I will take you home. It's Jesus who takes us home, home with God. And this, this, this means... Jesus' statement here is so profound. It it means that heaven isn't something that can be bought except for that Christ already bought it for us. There's not another penny to be paid. Christ bought heaven for us, for all who would receive him in faith, to who he would reveal himself. Heaven's not something that can be learned about more to, to get in except for what is written about Christ. He is the sum of all truth. All truth points to him. And it's not something that can be earned in our own lives except for Christ's life and how he earned it in our place. And we may say, well, yes, that's true. Uh, that, that's all true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But, but, but Christ, 
He expects us to, to follow his way, to study and, and, and seek the truth in our Christian life and, and, and to live out the Christian life before God. Yes, and I, I agree and affirm all of that. But, but let's, just, let's just do it the way that Jesus taught us. Let's study the truth like Jesus taught us, that he is the truth. Let's live the Christian life like Jesus taught us, to live in him. Let's follow the way that, that he taught us, which is to know him, that he is the way. He said, you know the way to where I am going. Believe in God, believe also in me. Any way following, any, any truth seeking, any, any life if it is heaven-bound, then its sum, its total, its essence is in Christ. There's no other way. Here's how we know. I'm going to look at verse 18 through 20 added in here. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. We see here in Christ this assurance to not leave us behind, to not leave us as orphans, but to come back. And we see to, the, to know Jesus in verse 20, I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I know it's confusing language. I know we don't talk that way, but we're talking about a mystery here of faith. To know Jesus, to have trusted in Christ, to believe in Christ is to be in him, to be recognized in his death and resurrection and assurance of the eternal home to which we long for. And so Christ assures us by saying, I am in my Father. I have secured the home. I have prepared the home, and I will take you home. All of our human hungers for an eternal home are met in him. I'll close us in prayer.